Hello, and welcome to Calming the Chaos Podcast, where we talk with people around the world who can help you find peace in a chaotic world. I'm your host, Tracy Canella, licensed mental health counselor, certified eating disorder specialist, and advanced clinical hypnotherapist. Calming the Chaos Podcast is for those who want self-help resources and education. It's not a substitute for counseling or psychotherapy. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. And now, let the chaos begin. In this episode of Calming the Chaos, I'll be talking to Dr. Anita Johnston. Dr. Johnston is a psychologist, and she is a storyteller, educator, and she's the author of one of my favorite books, Eating in the Light of the Moon. And this book actually uses story, myth, and metaphor to describe different ways of seeing disordered eating in women. Dr. Johnston, as I've said, has been one of those pioneers in the field of eating disorders treatment. And she is here with us now so that we can talk about chaos and how chaos can lead to disorder, specifically disordered eating. Dr. Johnston is also the executive director of Aipono Hawaii, which is a residential and intensive outpatient treatment center for eating disorders on the Hawaiian Islands, the island of Maui. And she is just a joy to listen to. I could listen to her all day. I'm so happy to have Dr. Johnston with us today. Welcome to Calming the Chaos. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. It's good to be able to have a talk with somebody who is, you know, I would like to say like-minded. You think in terms of of themes and presenting concepts and storytelling, uh, just these things that aren't on the clinical side to describe things that are clinical. Uh, I thought maybe I'd just have you, since I introduced you in the way I perceive you, uh, let's hear what you have to say about yourself, where you are today, how you got here, whatever you'd like. <laughs> well, as you mentioned, I use metaphor. I think in metaphor. I think in images. And so metaphor is how you use one thing to describe another. And so what I found in the, the field of disordered eating is a lot of times the language was such that it didn't take people where they needed to go because you're using the same words over and over and over and over again. So if you could use pictures in your mind's eye, if you could use images. So for that, I'm, and I always have been a storyteller, which is the language of metaphor. And that's what's made the work really a joy for me. I love, I love doing it. And reading through the book is a different experience, wouldn't you say, than then reading one of those eating disorder books that describes what the disorders are and clinically describing how to treat them, right? Yeah, what I, what I know now that I didn't know then back when I was writing it is that it's essentially using a different part of your brain so that really we're going into the, the more of the right hemisphere of your brain where um, new experience, you can have new experiences. That's where they first come in before you say, oh, it's just this or it's only this. So it's really, I, I intentionally was wanting it to be more expansive. And now I understand that using the, the stories, the language of metaphor was actually using a different part of the brain. Wow, I'd love to hear more about that. Is that a neurological sort of a thing or is it more of a like <laughs> right brain is is this and left brain is that? Well, it's it's not that there's specific differences in terms of their structure, but in terms of their function, yes. And so, uh, for example, the the left hemisphere of your brain helps you see the trees. The right side of your brain helps you see the forest. So, so that you get, you're looking at the same thing, but really from a, from a different vantage point. 
Yes. And I talked to your colleagues, Francie and Maria, last year about that. I cannot believe I actually forgot about it. Maybe I'm just too much in one part of my brain and not in another, which makes complete sense. Most of us are because our culture has reared us to use most of mostly the left side of our brain. And when it comes to disordered eating, that's what that's how it gets hijacked because that side of your brain is about counting and measuring and comparing and taking apart and looking looking at your body in terms of the body parts and rather than experiencing it from the inside out and experiencing it as a whole. So yeah, most of us have been raised to util overutilize that side of our brain. And so when when you're listening to a story, for example, it, it takes you to a different place where where things are where time time itself is no longer linear, measured out in seconds and in minutes and in hours. It's it's really it's it's a it's a whole different sense of time even. Was that something that you were, because I know you have a history, you were raised on the island of Guam and being on an island or being out of the mainland, was that any influence in how your brain was developed and developed to think in this way? I think so. And and my background is multicultural indigenous. And so the storytelling has been more closely kept in those cultures as a way of communicating important concepts or helping to understand the world or where we came from, or even in my instance, discipline. <laughs> I was, you know, I was taught uh, what was right and wrong in terms of story. So I think I, I that just became a natural way, but I didn't really realize that until I was raising my own children and my daughters were going to Waldorf schools and they would come home with stories about Prince division and Prince multiplication. And I, and I remember thinking, gosh, if I had learned my times tables that way, I would know them. <laughs> Are you saying you don't know your times tables? Oh, uh, well, no, that's, <laughs> that's a different part of the brain. That's not as developed in me as it might be in other people. <laughs> right. And, and there's no, there's no reason it's good, bad, right or wrong. It just is right. Just mm -hmm. is. I, well, I've learned to accept that it just is. There was a time when I, judged that quite a bit and felt like there was something wrong with me. But over time and working with that, I realized, yeah, it's just different. Yeah. And and that's why I say I've got a degree in accounting, but God made the calculator for a reason. So, and I don't know very many of mine. I think mine stop at like seven. I, I don't know that I can go eights and nines very confidently. So, well, well, awesome. I love that. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got started as one of what I consider to be a pioneer in the eating disorder field? Well, I, I think... How it started, I'd always been interested in women's issues that because I grew up in a matriarchal culture and I had very strong uh, women figures in my life. And so I was always just interested in women's experience in, in the world. And so what happened is I was supervising a psychology intern in Hawaii many years ago. I mean, many years ago, this is uh, 1981, 82. And she was studying for her doctoral dissertation, the incidence of eating disorders in Hawaii back then. And so we would get together and we would meet and we met with a third person who had recovered herself. She was a social worker who had recovered from her own eating disorder, but she had had to figure it out all by herself. So when the three of us would meet to talk about this, we every time we met, we'd say, oh, my gosh, there's so many people here that are that are struggling. There should there should be a center for this. <laughs> After we said it for about the fifth time, we looked at each other and we laughed and we went, well, I guess that's us. So that was that was 1982. We created this center and um, it was one of those things you created and they come. And so girls and women of all ages, all ethnicities, all sizes, all shapes, all different kinds of struggles with eating and body image showed up. In those days, no guys were showing up. It just, I, I don't know why it wasn't really on the horizon. Remember at that time, 
Karen Carpenter had just brought the experience of anorexia into the general, the mind of the general public when she died from that. So people were starting to understand what anorexia nervosa was. Bulimia had just been diagnosed, just been brought in, into the DSM. Binge eating disorder wasn't it wasn't even a, a concept. So um, I was just basically trying to figure out, okay, what what is it? What is the common denominator with all of these folks that are struggling? First of all, why is it women and girls? Because that was what was happening at the time. Why is it these particular women and girls? And why is the, <clears throat> excuse me, the struggle around food and body? Yeah. And so that became my, my journey of just getting really curious. And because I'm a storyteller and as a psychologist, I'm a trained story listener, I decided, well, I'm going to listen to their stories very carefully to see if I can find what is that thread? What is that common denominator? And what I discovered is that these girls and women were like the child in the fairy tale, The Emperor's New Clothes. See, I, I can't talk without story and metaphor. Because in that story, <clears throat> excuse me, I saw it very clearly. In that story, you have this vain emperor, doesn't care much about ruling his kingdom. And um, he has quite a reputation for this. And so a couple of con artists come into town and they say, our clothing is so fine, only those fit for their station in life can even see it. Well, the emperor was taken in by these two, and so he commissioned a whole new wardrobe for him. And the con artist pretended to cut and stitch clothing that really wasn't there. But all the people who worked for the emperor went on about the fabulous clothing, even the emperor himself. He didn't want people to think he wasn't fit for his station in life. And so the con artists, eventually, they left town laughing all the way to the bank. And now this is grand procession where the emperor is wearing his new outfit. But of course, he's totally naked. But all the townspeople are oohing and eyeing and, and, and commenting on his magnificent clothing because they didn't want their neighbor to think that they were stupid. But there is a child in the crowd that said in a very loud voice, but mommy, the emperor has no clothes on at all. And when this child spoke, it created a ripple throughout the crowd and everyone saw the emperor for the fool that he was. Mm. Well, what I saw is that these people that were coming uh, to see me, they were like that child in that they had an incredible ability to perceive subtle realities. Uh, they could pick up on the vibe, right? They, they could sense hypocrisy. They could um, tell that things were not okay, even if everyone around them said, things are just fine, everything's fine. But because they weren't in a fairy tale, when they spoke up about what they were seeing, they were either ignored or they were rejected. They might have been ridiculed and even in some instances abused for speaking the truth the way they saw it. And so what had happened is they had to find some way to dim their light, to diminish this capacity to perceive these subtle realities because what they wanted, what all of us want is a sense of belonging, but they confused that with fitting in. So they, they decided they had to look like and act like and think like and feel like how they imagined everyone else wanted them to look and act and think and feel. And so they ended up finding that that was really uncomfortable, very painful, but using food in some way helped to soothe or numb or distract uh, or, or help them escape from that discomfort. Yeah, and when you were telling that story, and I've heard that story so many times, but I was just sort of lost in it as you were telling me this time. That's your uh, right brain. <laughs> yeah, I, I was really, really super uh, tuned in to the authorities that we have, like the king. When you, when, that's a symbol of authority, right? right? And so, if they were to question even the adults, you think the power, uh, the power structure is going to go adults to children, right? And then we've got the king who is the ultimate power. And then we've got the parent in, in this story. And the authority here is, even if I'm the parent, I'm not going to question the king, right? I'm not going to question him because it could mean off with my head. So we learn to survive in these environments where these myths 
are propagated. <laughs> and that's what came up for me that time you told the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because first of all, there is the external authority, but then we internalize that. And then we have our own inner authority that continues long after you're out of that situation, whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. Well, and I don't know if chaos was caused in that situation when the child blurts out the truth, right? Mm -hmm. And had the innate ability to, to see the truth and also speak the truth. I wonder if internal chaos was yeah. going on in the minds of people like, what does oh. she mean? What, is, what does this child mean? Well, well, the chaos happens when you disconnect from authentic self, mm. right? That connection gets frayed, and that's what becomes chaotic within our psyche. So if you can think of it as when we are born, we have two very powerful drives. One is the drive for connection and attachment. Uh, because we are mammals, we're not lizards. We don't just hatch out of an egg and go on our way. No, we have to attach to our caregivers in order to survive. However, we're also born with an equally powerful drive, and that is the drive for authenticity. That is the drive to be our true self. That is the drive to, to, to live our destiny and become who we are meant to be and go where we're meant to go. So what happens, though, is that these two drives throughout our childhoods, and for some of us more than others, but certainly this happens for all of us, these two drives come into conflict. And guess which one wins? Attachment, right? It has to. We have to survive. So what happens is it, it's something like this. Um, little kid wants a cookie. And mommy says, no, you can't have a cookie. We're having dinner in an hour. And little kid goes, I want a cookie. I want a cookie. And mommy says, if you don't stop that, you're not going to get any cookies at all. So little kid goes, okay, I don't want a cookie, right? So that's just a, like a little example of how we've all been there. We've all did it, did it. We all have to do it. But here's the problem. When there's conflict between the two and you choose attachment because you have to, it's not a bad choice. The connection to authentic self gets frayed and even disconnected. And when that happens, it creates a tension that builds and becomes even painful. And we will do anything anything to try to soothe that pain or that discomfort or that chaos, if you will. Mm. Because when that connection to authentic self is not solid, you don't have this center core. And so you get pulled out, you get, you're going to get pulled all over the place. However, the, the winds blow, that's where you're going because you're not connected to authentic self. Yeah, I wonder if that is what's meant by that untethered soul when you're you are just everywhere and you're not anywhere. And that is so the disconnection or the separation from authentic self is actually what causes chaos to happen. Yeah, yeah if you yeah. think of think of a I grew up in, in the Pacific, think of a typhoon or a hurricane. Um it it spins around, it's chaotic, but in the center it's quiet and it's peaceful. And so the task then is to stay connected to the center. So even if you put your arm out there into that storm, you're not going to get yanked into it, right? And so the idea is that you can't get rid of the chaos. That's the nature of our world. However, there's always peace. Peace doesn't go anywhere. It's always there. So the question is then, how do you get there? And and I think that's the task of our lives. Well, and then some, but some people, I believe, use food to stabilize themselves. Oh. Using food in the way of I'm not going to use it and that stabilizes me or I'm going to use it in a certain way or I'm going to overuse it. But it's the use of food. It's not just some people. It's all of us, right? We are hardwired to do this. Think of your first experience on the planet as an infant and you're in distress, you're given either the breast or the bottle and you go, you get to peace, right? Mm -hmm. so, so from the very beginning, we are, we are hardwired to use food to regulate when things are feeling too chaotic. 
The problem is when we don't develop other ways so that it becomes a one-trick pony and the only way we know how to regulate ourselves is by eating or not eating. So that's when it becomes problematic, but we all do it to one degree or another. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because yes, I, I was thinking in terms of disordered eating, but you're right. I mean, even my animals do it, right? I've, I've been a pet owner for years and I've seen that happen. And yeah, we do all do it. But what you said is is the problem. And I, I wish you'd repeat that because you you worded it so eloquently is, is when we don't you said when we don't use other skills. Exactly. So that be, that's what happens is that that's the one skill we have and we're not developing these other skills. I, and it's a real thing, right? It's like we just had Thanksgiving. What happens when you have that big meal and you go, oh, okay, now, right? So, so our bodies are designed to respond in that way, but we forget that there are other ways to get there. There are other ways to get that sense of peace and harmony. There's lots of other ways, but we are not taught that. And so we just, we turn to, I mean, think of, for example, think of being in nature. Nature does that for us, right? That's why we go to the beach. That's why we go hiking. That's why we go for walks in the woods. That's why we go to the park. That's why we lie in the sun. It's like our bodies respond to the particular harmonic in nature. And, and so instinctively, we know we can feel more at peace. Well, even getting out of a room that has a computer in it that you're answering emails and just simply stepping out of the room can be helpful sometimes. But again, like you said, some people don't know to do that, but the just like the eye of the storm, it's right there. You just have to know that it's there and, and then you access it. it. Right, you have to recognize peace, harmony. They have a particular vibrational frequency that our minds may not recognize it, but our bodies do. And so once you start to, to recognize what that is for you, and it's different for each of us. For example, um, I have these flowers over here. I always have flowers in my room. Why? Because I've recognized there's something that happens for me with color and nature and you put those two together and it calms my nervous system. So that's an example um, um, of how we can find for ourselves what helps us align with that particular energetic constellation, you call it, of peace or harmony or calm or, or content. So the chaos will happen when we disconnect from our authentic selves and we go to other means. The only means that we are taught, possibly food, and this is something we do anyway. Mm -hmm. And then disorder happens. And I, I think it's an interesting thing to, to dive into is yeah. the definition of chaos <laughs> itself is disorder, right. confusion, throwing us off balance. Right. And we go to disordered eating at times because we're seeking order. Right. It's okay. a paradox. It's like almost a quadruple paradox. When right. 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 Because we're seeking order outside of ourselves, not letting it in. Right. So, so if you think of like, um, for example, someone that's struggling with compulsive eating or binge eating, um, what's happening is they're, they're caught up in this sort of scarcity mentality where there's never enough. Right. But, but what, what happens is then it's everywhere in their lives. It's not just, there's never enough food. There's never enough money. There's never enough time. There's never enough appreciation. There's, there's never enough coffee. I mean, it's just like this never enough theme. And what a lot of people don't realize is the flip side of that is that the door can be locked from the inside and there's a lack of receptivity, a lack of really taking in and allowing that, I don't know, that sandwich, that cup of coffee to really attune to 
that feeling of, ah, okay, okay, which is an inner experience. Mm -hmm. So if you can't tune into that, then you just more, 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 more. You don't really go, ooh, ah, you can't really savor it. You can't really just really appreciate it, immerse yourself in it. And are you saying that if you're not taught to do that, that you, I mean, this is something that we would do naturally, I think, if we weren't taught yes. in other ways, or do we specifically have to be taught to do what you just described? We're, we're taught not to do it. We're taught not to tune in. We are, first of all, our culture is so literal that we're taught in terms of things and we're not taught how to attune to the energy of that, the non-physical reality that comes with those things. Um, I mean, here's an example, right? We're taught that our mind is in our brain, but it's not. Right? It's like I listen to my music on this device. Um, is the music in here? Could I take this apart and find the music? No, of course not, right? We know that, right? We're, we're sophisticated enough to understand that, no, but I need this device to access the sound waves so that I can hear them. Likewise, what we're learning from quantum physicists is that the mind, our consciousness is non-local. It's not in here. However, if you damage a part of the brain, you, you won't be able to access it. Uh, your thoughts may be in the same way, but that's not because the thoughts are in here. But this device is a very important device. So, but you can see how we think so literally, we don't even think about, well, what, where are my thoughts and where are they coming from? We just believe them. We believe them, even if they're inaccurate. Why? Because we have neural pathways in our brain that already are designed to take them there. And that's where, if you think about the chaos that comes from judging oneself, right? You judge yourself, and now you start to feel this inner chaos, this, this anxiety. Um, but and it, it takes some training so that you create more neural pathways with your thoughts your consciousness that aren't the same as always judging yourself. You kind of go in a different direction. Yeah. And, and I know that we were talking earlier about this time of the year, as we were speaking, it's December 3rd, we've just gotten through Thanksgiving and we're in this transition period is the way I see it because we are actually transitioning out of the year 2021. Mm -hmm. And then we've got all of this, stuff that we're supposed to do if we want to uh, subscribe to what the holidays are, however you celebrate them. But there is what you were saying that like we can detect the energy and, and I can actually feel the energy change this time of year. I'm not, I'm not sure about you, mm -hmm. uh, but I wondered if you might want to speak to uh, how you feel like this holiday season where it inherently is more energy in, in the air, if you will, uh, can be managed and just being able to tune in. So what I want to say to that first is that in my experience, those folks who struggle with disordered eating are very emotionally sensitive and highly intuitive. And as I mentioned with the Emperor's New Clothes story, they pick up on stuff. They pick up on vibes. And so, but what happens is because they don't quite know how to interpret what they're picking up on. So you're right. We're, we're going into, this is another transition. There's energy that's starting to move. People are starting to react to it. People with disordered eating start to really feel that, but they don't understand it. And so where their mind goes because of how their brain is structured from having repetitive thoughts going in this direction over and over and over is there must be something wrong with me. Um, so what happens is, oh, she seems upset. There must be something I did. Oh, uh, this isn't working out the way I thought it would. There must be something wrong with me. Oh, things aren't moving as quickly as, as I would. There must be something wrong with me. So then that feeds the chaos, right? Because that particular vibrational frequency, if you will, of there must be some, the thought, there must be something wrong with me, is agitating. It's like, mm, right? And so now we have this whole process being 
amplified um, by this thinking, oh, well, it, 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 it's me. Oh, it, it's me. So, so then it really has to do when there's change, right? It has to do with the story you tell yourself about the change. Um, and because the, the meaning that you give to it, because the world is going to do what the world's going to do. And the world misbehaves all the time, frankly, you know, right? People misbehave all the time. We're not in control of that. But we are in control of how we interpret that, the meaning we give to that. And therein lies the choice because you can choose to interpret it in a way that is more calming and more peaceful or is more agitating. Like, oh my God, there's something wrong with me. I can't handle this. I'm never going to be able to cope. So, so recognizing, first of all, that you do have a choice. You can choose which I like to use the word frequency because that's kind of how I experience it. This one that is more fear-based, which is, is like this. And there's one that is more love and harmonious, which is more like this. But you do it by choosing what thoughts you're going to entertain. Thoughts are going to land all the time in your brain. Thoughts, 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 thoughts. Which are the ones are you going to put your attention on? So, for example, um, you can't see it, but right here over my computer, I have a little uh, plaque. And interestingly enough, my, my daughter gave this to me because she sort of knows the way my mind works. And it says, not to spoil the ending, but everything is going to be okay. Right? So all I have to do when I'm starting to get that, mm, I look up. Uh, another thing that I might say is, um, in the end, everything is going to be all right. If it's not all right, it's not the end. Now, look at the difference of that, that frequency, right? Just to say that. Now, I'm not talking about denial. I'm not talking about Pollyanna, woo, 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 everything is fine when it's not. But it, it's really, again, seeing a bigger picture that, yeah, this is happening right now, but in this context, there's way more to the story. So I have to remind myself of that when I get caught up in the chaos of the world, in the chaos of my own mind. Uh, another thing I've done is I subscribed to a news, a, a, a magazine called Positive News. And it's chock full of all the positive, wonderful things that are happening in the world. Because I like to watch the news. I like to stay abreast of what's going on. But most of it is going to rattle your cage, right? Unless you have something um, else to then shift back to. And you can either get it digitally or you can get the actual subscription. It comes out of the UK that you get four times a year. And it's it's beautiful. It's got all kinds of, you know, I love images. So I get the I get I get them both. I get the, the digital, but I also like having it in my hand so that it's right there on my coffee table. And if I'm starting to little feel a little too much dismay about the nature of the world we live in and what's happening. and Because news is designed to capture our brains that are designed to look for the problems, right? That, that's why we're here on the planet. If our ancestors hadn't had these brains that are always looking like, like a heat-seeking missile for where's the problem, we wouldn't be here because they'd be looking at the leaves in the bushes and going, isn't that pretty? How? And then boom, out comes a tiger and eats them, right? So we're designed to look for the problem, yet we get stuck with that. And so uh, I know that. And, and so it's like, okay, how can I how can I keep things in balance? I don't want to just go, no, 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 no. I don't want to. It's like I don't want to do that kind of denial, but I need that balance. Right. Yeah, positive news. I'm going to check that out. So it's available in printed form and actually online. So you can hold it in your hand or you can see it on your screen, whatever uh, feels right to you. That's Thank you for that resource. I appreciate that. And yes, so sometimes we do need that part of the brain where we have to go into the storm cellar because there oh, yeah. is a hurricane. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sure you've had to do that before. But then, but then also just being able to 
think about what what is stable, what can I hold on to, what yeah. what is not moving right now, and uh, it's all that stuff. right? So. I, um, I grew up on Guam. We had massive typhoons, massive, uh, uh, where you'd lose the whole roof of the house. Okay, this is just like a, this just happened every few years. Uh, you sure uh, learn not to get too attached to stuff. You okay. want to learn not to be walking down the street when this happens. Well, either. The thing is, nobody, very, very few people die during ty uh, typhoons because you're given a lot of advanced warning. Um, most houses are prepared for that. And so when I was a child growing up, we had a two-story brick house. And when the typhoon came, we would all go underneath the stairs, the brick stairs, and we would sit there and we would ride it out. And it's loud. Oh my gosh, the sound is, is when, when that typhoon <clears throat> is swirling over. But there's always, you know, when the center of the storm passes, because it's quiet and it's calm. And at the same time, you have this center within yourself. So I'll, and my mother was like that. And maybe that's how I learned that because I remember one time we're just under there and, and, and we're trying not to be stressed because it's loud. It's scary. It's chaotic chaos to the max. And my mother would say, Oh, you want a cookie? <laughs> right. So it's, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? It's normalizing like, that, it. yeah, normalize it. And, at some level, she used food. She did. Right? She did. Oh, it's like, wait, what was that? So, um, but finding finding that that peaceful place inside of you that is always there. It doesn't always have your attention, but it's always there. And it's so interesting what you said that it's noisy, and then when the center of the storm comes, it's quiet, and then does it get noisy again? And oh, yeah. before it goes away, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we might want to remember that as a yeah. as a nice metaphor <laughs> is that sometimes they it does kind of go like this until you level out, right? Gosh, when you brought up that roof thing, and I just remembered a story when I was about sixteen years old, and a eucalyptus tree. I was living in Northern California at the time, and and a, a eucalyptus tree, the wind was blowing, 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 and never really saw the trees bend that much before. And, mm. and one of them fell on our roof. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it actually hit at my mother's bedroom, which was right across the street, from, <laughs> right across the hall from mine. And I was in there getting ready for work. And I don't remember what happened, but recently my mom said, yeah, so you grabbed your saxophone and Jesse, her <laughs> husband, grabbed the baby. And I don't know what I grabbed. <laughs> yeah, I want to say something though about chaos that I think is important because we often think about chaos as being a negative thing. However, nothing new comes out of the status quo. It always comes out of chaos. Right. So what can happen is sometimes we'll grab on so tightly to things staying the same, the same, the same, the same, because the unknown can can, can be a little scary. But it but only if you want something new to come in your life, you have to make friends with chaos. Hmm. So those people who go and they, they're sort of uh, trepidatious of this season, they are probably high noticers, but they're not really aware what they're noticing. Feeling it so. Yeah, they're, fe they're definitely picking up on something, but not really aware what it is mm -hmm. and blaming themselves. Like, it must be me. It must be something I'm doing wrong. That's so wrong. is there a, a question, mm -hmm. something that you could, I was thinking maybe mm -hmm. we should try and ask ourselves or notice when we are saying, is it me? It must be me to be able to say, could it, what else could it be? Or is there something better that you can ask yourself instead? Well, this isn't quite the same thing, but, but it's something that I learned to do. And I learned this um, once from listening to a, a lecture by Angeles Arion. And she talked about this culture in central, I think it was in Central America. I wish I could remember, but it was an indigenous culture that had been studied a lot because there was no violence in this culture. So you can imagine they're anthropologists and psychologists, they were interested. And what she talked about is that in this culture, they worked a lot with their 
dreams so that people in the morning, everyone would discuss their dreams and they would use their dreams to inform their day. But what I found most interesting is they also taught everyone to work with their waking dreams, what we call daydreams. And so um, if they had a negative daydream, um, like, like, and we have them all the time, right? Let's, like, let's say you're driving down the road and you have this quick fantasy of, oh my God, the car going off the cliff or something like that. I, I don't know about you, but I have those things. They, they just pop in and, and momentarily. And what they, what they were taught to do is whenever they have those thoughts, they're to respond by saying, and that's a story that doesn't need to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's very calming, right? It takes you right back. If you have a positive daydream, like you uh, imagine yourself saving some kittens from a burning building, they say to themselves, and that's a healing story. Mm. So this idea of getting used to noticing, um, let's say something's not going okay, and you think, oh, and your mind goes disastrous. We all do this, right? You think about like the word, oh, this is going to end, this is going to suck, this is going to be terrible. And that's a story that doesn't need to happen. So when my children were my were just learning to drive and all their friends were learning to drive and they would pull up in front of the house, my mind <laughs> would go car crash. Yeah. And that's a story that doesn't need to happen. Mm. So that's something, that's a technique that I use. I've used it for 20 years. Third, no, <laughs> it's 25 years um, at least. But it helps you, first of all, notice where your thoughts are going. And then using your awareness, your consciousness, to put your focus on something that is more calming and soothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even just that process of a story that doesn't need to happen is what we hypnotherapists call the um, refusing of the suggestions. That is so important. You know, what we take in, what we choose to take in, and what we don't choose to take in uh, those suggestions, but a story that doesn't need to happen. Yeah, I think of, uh, I think it was Mark Twain that said this, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, I've had a lot of horrible experiences in my life, and it's a good thing most of them never happened. <laughs> right? Because we can do this. Uh, and, and, and that's where the power of our imagination is what are the images we're going to create in our mind's eye? It's our superpower. But a lot of people don't know how to use it properly. So uh, often I'll hear people say, uh, I don't have a good imagination. And what I like to say is, what do you think worry is? <laughs> right? What worry bad use of a good imagination? Creativity, right? There's exactly. my creative mind is at work again, worrying about something that'll probably never happen. Exactly. So, but once you realize that, now, now you can work with it. You can start to steer the ship a little bit. Right. And when you say my mind's eye, and then I'm reminded of the eye of the storm and in your mind's eye can actually be the eye of the storm, possibly, right? You, exactly. you may be able to imagine yourself really keeping it together when chaos hits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So cool. Well, I did want to come in and uh, show our listeners some of what you have been creating. Uh, so I will, I would love to be able to share your website with people. So your website is uh, com, And I'm just going to go ahead and take you there here. If I can share the screen. And we'll go ahead and do that. Okay, let's see if that comes up. Ta-da! <laughs> there we go. There you are. Yes. Yes, I actually just really, really love uh, this website. And, and the thing that I like most is that it is it does have that, that island theme, right? <laughs> Can't help myself, right? <laughs> the blues, the water. And so, yeah, tell us a little bit about what you're in, into these days and how you're serving people. I know that you have this food and metaphor guide that you can get for free on your website. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a, is that a guide to the, um, just the, the, the action of learning to notice metaphor? 
No, actually, it's really kind of a, a cool thing. This is where the fun uh, in the recovery journey begins because what I've discovered is that when people are struggling with food, the food is talking to them, but it's talking in metaphor, it's talking in code. And to understand what it's saying, you have to crack the code. So whatever foods you binge on or restrict or eat compulsively, if you can look at those foods metaphorically, they will tell you about the other kinds of hungers that are going on within you that you're trying to use food to address. So for example, sweet foods typically have to do with feeling like you're not sweet enough or there's not enough sweetness in your life. Crunchy, salty foods are usually connected to unexpressed anger and frustration. Soups and stews are connected to uh, craving for emotional warmth. Spicy foods have to do with either a fear of or a desire for excitement, stimulation, and change. And chocolate, we know that from Valentine's Day. Love, romance, sex, uh, sensuality. And so that's a guide to help people find that. And then on my other website, which is the Light of the Moon Cafe, um, there's a quiz you can take uh, uh, that where you can find the foods that you crave or, or restrict and it'll help you decode it metaphorically. But this particular is just a guide uh, to break down a little bit more about what I just said. I see. I see. Well, and you can get it for free. All you have to do is put your name and your email address on there and you can get your, your free copy. So I, this is the other website, which is lightofthemooncafe.com. And so I would encourage you to visit that. Uh, on Dr. Johnson's uh, first website, her dranitajohnston.com, she does offer, and I think you can probably speak to this thing, uh, individual sessions. You do workshops, you do retreats, <laughs> you do speaking trainings. Uh, and so, yeah, are you still actively doing all that stuff? <laughs> I, well, the workshops, you know, I'm a little tethered like everybody else is with, with COVID, the workshops and retreats. So I'm starting to tiptoe a little bit back into that. But Right now, most of my work is virtual, and actually, it has been for the last 10 years. So I work individually with people all over the world, but it's all virtual and have for the last 10 years. And then the Light of the Moon Cafe is all virtual, and, and those are interactive courses. So I'm, all, I'm in there. I'm communicating with people. I do webinars, <clears throat> again, and conferences that thus far have been mostly virtual. So... Um, that's kind of the world we're living in. And fortunately, I was pretty used to it before COVID hit. Yeah, so you you have that interactive online circle is what you like to, to mm -hmm. call it, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and then a lot of different educational programs. Here's where I'll start to try and share the screen again. And I have my program in Hawaii, my residential facility. So before COVID, I used to go there every other month. But I'm, I've always been on the treatment team meetings every week. I meet with the, the patients there. I run a group with them virtually. So there's a lot that, that you can do without <laughs> leaving your chair. <laughs> well, exactly. And I, I love this. And I, hopefully you can see it as well. This is lightofthemooncafe.com. And uh, the programs, you've, you've just got a lot of different programs, self-study mm -hmm. programs. Mm -hmm. And are you interactive as far as if somebody has a question for you oh, or? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they can shoot me an email, you know, at any time through the website. Because I have, I have several self-studies that you're showing right there, which is Cracking the Hunger Code, which is, again, how to find out what those foods are t saying to you. That's really what that's about. Um, and then the second one is assertiveness, because I believe I've seen thousands and thousands of people totally, completely recover from eating disorders, disordered eating, but never without this skill. So I, I thought I'd put together a course to teach, to teach that skill. And then my, I have a new one that's coming up that's going to be launched in the next, well, I'm starting getting ready to launch it now, actually. Uh, it's called uh, Four Faces of the Feminine Psyche. And this is, this is learning these different aspects of your psyche that have amazing gifts 
for each and every one of us, regardless of our chronological age. And if you can understand what these aspects of your psyche are, these archetypes, uh, then you can work with them consciously and deliberately. So that's that's coming up in the next the next month. I do know that there is a page up for it. It's right. I think it's lightofthemooncafe.com backslash four faces. There we go. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did notice you have just just tons of things on mm -hmm. this site, and it's it's interactive. Just like you said. Yeah. Well, those those the there's those self studies that I I was just talking about. But then I have a series. I call them my moon modules. That are those are the interactive courses, and because they're courses, they start at a certain time and end at a certain time. So the self study you can take at any time, but these. Um, you, we all have to begin together and end together. So this new crescent moon, it starts in January, end of January. Uh, we'll be starting a new one. And so what that is, is that every day for eight weeks, there's um, a, an activity. So maybe it might start with, okay, this week we're reading chapter seven in Eating in the Light of the Moon. And the next day will be me telling a story from that chapter. And then the next day would be some story questions that you can journal about to take it more deeply into yourself. The next day might be an audio metaphor of a, a metaphor of some sort. The next day might be a drawing or a writing activity. The next day might be a playlist of songs to listen to that are connected to this theme. And then there's a forum. And so um, people comment in the forum and I comment, I respond to all the questions and comments. And, and because it's uh, people from all over the world, you're not restricted in terms of time. You could go to the forum at 3 a.m. and see what people are saying at the cafe and respond or not. So in that regard, it's interactive. And then I have live calls, several live calls where we talk about the concept. So that's the first one. And then there's two other courses that follow up after that. You have to take the first course, that's the beginning course, because they build upon each other. So if people wanna go further, they wanna go deeper, then they can take the next course uh, under the light of the full moon. And then or, and then, if they wanna keep on going, then they can take uh, the beauty of the unseen moon. Wow, and all of these are eight week courses, is that right? Yes. Awesome. So there's so there's all kinds of things. There's also, I was really interested in this section for professionals. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would love to be able to hear what you might have to say to professionals who mm -hmm. are entering the field. And mm -hmm. maybe you could use this as a springboard. I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm, mm -hmm. I have been trying for years to get more people interested in yeah. treating this population and uh, have not been that successful. But maybe you could say, something to inspire them. Well, one of the things I do is I offer <clears throat> to professionals a discount code that they can give to their clients and they get 20% off. And I do this because I really want to encourage people to get as much professional support as they can. And, and then there are people that mm, may, maybe they don't specialize in working with disordered eating or <clears throat> maybe they're dietitians and they've never worked with folks with disordered eating. So their clients can take these courses and then bring the material that comes up into, into their individual sessions. And so that's why I, I provide that code. Also, a lot of professionals take my courses because they want to learn how to work in this way. They want to learn how to understand how to use the metaphors. So they take the course and it's really the best way to learn because you get to see what other people's responses are. You get to tap into your own personal because we all have eating and body image issues. That's just the nature of being human and getting some clarity about that. So that's sort of the way I like to work with professionals. I don't use a lot of jargon. I feel like we're all in the same boat and we all you know, can learn and understand uh, from each other. Right. Yeah. There's just so many resources on this page alone. As you can tell, I've been scrolling down a little bit and, and for professionals to be able to access this at a discount and share it with clients who are struggling. Mm -hmm. So again, you can click for your professional code mm -hmm. and how does the code work? Uh, you, you use it when you enroll in one of, one of your cafe um, right. right. And so the code, um, they'll be given a code. It's usually 
something close to their name so it's easy to remember so that they can just, if they have a client that really um, uh, wants some deeper work or just wants additional support, the support in the cafe is unreal. It's really the best part because people will say, oh my gosh, you just took the words out of my, uh, out of my mouth. That's exactly my experience. Or, how, oh, I never thought of it that way. Or So there is one rule in the cafe, and that is only support, no advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one that gets to break that rule because <laughs> sometimes I do give, uh, I point someone in a certain direction. But for the most part, it's really just people supporting each other and saying, oh my gosh, I know exactly how you're feeling. And that's, that's an unusual experience for people who are struggling with disordered eating because usually it's such a secret, shameful thing. And so to be surrounded in a virtual circle with others that know exactly what you're talking about, that totally get it, that really understand um, is, is incredible. And so <clears throat> the professionals who take the course, they get to read those comments also and see, you know, what are the kinds of things that, that really resonate with people who are struggling. And as you can see, then with that professional code, you can have access to those classes and those courses and those areas that we were talking about earlier on Light of the Moon Cafe. And it's just such a great resource. Do you have anything that you would like to say to to people who are maybe hesitant about working with eating disorders? Yeah, well, I'm a little baffled frankly, uh, why people wouldn't want to, because I find them to be some of the most amazing people I've ever met. And, and what I believe, and I, and I believe this with every fiber in my being, that people who struggle with any form of disordered eating, whether it's a full-blown eating disorder, whether it's yo-yo dieting, whatever it is, those that get on that recovery journey, they're the people the world has been waiting for. Because they have this innate uh, capacity for empathy and compassion that um, once they learn how to how to you know kind of clear that and use that energy directly, it's astounding what can happen. And I've seen it time and time and time again. So I think being able to be a part of that is really an incredible experience. And I have to agree with you. They're some of the most, they're intelligent, intuitive, Mm -hmm. and yes, they are troubled. I think some people may think about the treatment aspect of, you know, they may need a higher level of care. The thing is, is that we have so many resources, far more than when, uh, Anita, you were talking, you were uh, starting out in 1982. And, uh, so, so now we have these treatment centers in every state that we can access for higher levels of care. Exactly. And not only that, but if there are medical concerns, there are places that know how to, how to, how to work with people that are on death's door, if that's their situation. So it's not like we're just having to do it all ourselves. And also, when I was starting out, there were very few dietitians that knew how to work with eating disorders. That was, that was almost unheard of. Uh, nowadays, there's like, a, there's a whole community and because everyone's gone virtual, even if even if you live far away, you can find someone. Uh, and and we have different different levels of professionals. There are coaches that can help at that level of care. There are lots of of professionals nowadays that therapists that and dietitians that specialize in disordered eating and and then there are residential facilities there's there's phps partial hospitalization for those that need that level if there's iops everywhere so like like you said that was, there was nothing when i was starting out and so there are resources available no one has to do this alone mm-hmm. I think that's really the bottom line because there are consultation groups that are free. I belong to two of them in in my state. I'm sure there are other ones as well. And there and then we will be able to help you and and mentor you into to the higher levels of care. Sometimes we'll be able to to help you to say, okay, maybe you should check in with the doctor. So you can always consult. Always. It's it's available now. 
And and I have um, on my, I mean, there's a lot of free stuff too. For example, I have a webinar on my professional page for professionals to who want to understand how to work with metaphor. There, see if that see if that interests you. It's not for everybody, but if it if it is for you, whoop, there it is. I I in fact was listening to that, and it, it was it's about a fifty eight minute uh, mm -hmm. you know webinar that she does, mm -hmm. and it's so cool because I was I was feeling so validated because mm -hmm. I'm one of the people mm -hmm. who who th thinks in terms of that I, I'm not I'm a very right right brain person is that's the logical side right mm -hmm. no it's the left brain person don't right. get me wrong. <laughs> but but in terms of seeing the patterns and the the themes that happen with the eating disorder clients mm -hmm. I work with, I'm I'm very much able to see the metaphors. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, uh, yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit uh, about your affiliation with IPONO? You are the clinical director there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and the founder. So I when I had this opportunity to open oceanfront residential on Maui. <laughs> I was really pretty busy, but I thought, oh, come on. <laughs> How could I pass this up? Because um, that meant I get to provide residential treatment the way I think it should be provided, right? So, so that was just totally exciting for me. And uh, I said, okay, I'm willing to do it under two conditions. And one is that I wanna make sure we have a trauma track because I believe that folks that are in need of that level of care, there's more often than not some kind of trauma, whether it's attachment trauma or, or, or some kind of physical trauma, but that has messed with their nervous system. And so that was one of the things. And the other is that the language we have to speak is assertiveness because I believe that's the recovery language. And so if you want to go to, if you want to learn Italian, you go to Italy, right? And so um, at, at IPONO, that is the language we speak, whether it's patient to patient, patient to staff, staff to patient, staff to staff, so that everybody gets to be immersed in, in this language. And so we're small, we're um, eight beds, uh, soon to be 12. We're we're expanding a little bit, but but just enough. It, and it's a it's a home like setting. It's a house, and uh, we have um, a lot of connection with nature. We are you know we walk to the beach every morning and do a walking, uh, not a a more tuning in type of connection with self and with nature. Uh, we have outings all the time like that. Um, we do, um, what is it called? <laughs> I'm going to call it garden therapy because <laughs> we have our gardens there that, that we grow a lot of the, the food. But what I think I love most about it, and I'm on the weekly treatment team meetings every week, and I run one of the groups with the, with the patients, but there, there's infused a sense of aloha and aloha it's a real it's a real thing it, it it when people talk about the spirit of aloha it really means that you're really coming from your heart so when someone first comes to the program they get a lay and when you think about what a lay is it's a circle of flowers i love that but it's a circle which is which is metaphorically that's how you get wholeness and it lands right here about at the heart and so there's a lot of symbolism in what we do uh, that really feeds the soul essentially so that our focus is not simply on um, getting somebody stabilized nutritionally of, of course we do that but it's also helping people get to the the deeper meanings of what's driving the disordered eating in the first place so I love <laughs> this program it's just a great joy to me Oh my goodness. It sounds amazing. And especially just with all the symbol and, and so much meaning, right? Um, mm -hmm. Being a quarter of Hawaiian myself, I know oh, what you're talking about. Okay. With that. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, you didn't? No, oh, okay. Didn't. No, that the people at IPONO were so lovely to me. They liked mm -hmm. my, my business name yeah. is a Hawaiian name called Lokahi. Right. 
And uh, they, they, we were just talking for a long time, and they were just very, very nice to me. Uh, but yes, I, I graduated with a lay, and it was exactly as you <laughs> described. The flower was right yeah. there at my heart. Yeah. And the word aipono, so so I is the Hawaiian word for food, but also for nourishment, right? And pono, as you probably know, pono is a big word in the Hawaiian language because it has to do with wholeness and balance and and the correct way of being one with all. So um, that's where the name came from. And, and I, we were given the name. Ah, the wholeness and the wholeness of food, I guess. And, and the harmony yes. and the correctness of it. Correctness, not in terms of a should, but more like what is right. Yeah, what is right. Mm -hmm. Well, I really appreciate you, Anita, and the work that you do. I don't know how you have uh, the time of the day to do it, but I, <laughs> I respect and admire that. Um, maybe we can meet with you again with your two yeah. uh, other colleagues, and we can talk about how you, all of you, get your mm -hmm. energy to mm -hmm. do all the wonderful uh, things that you do. And remember to visit uh, Dr. Johnson's uh, website, DrAnitaJohnson.com and Light of the Moon Cafe at LightOfTheMoonCafe.com. <laughs> yeah, it's been a real pleasure to be with you again. And happy holidays to you. And thank you so much for sharing your time and your knowledge with us today. And take care. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Calming the Chaos podcast. If the information in this podcast has been helpful, please consider subscribing and share it with your friends. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Spotify, and on YouTube. You can also go to our podcast website at www.calmingthechaospodcast.com, where you can listen to all Calming the Chaos podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, take care.